You're listening to the Every Student, Every Day podcast with me, Jim Franchini, Superintendent of the Averill Park Central School District. Welcome to this episode of the Every Student, Every Day podcast. Uh, very fortunate today to have our architects with us. Uh, like every district, we have a architectural firm that we work with, and Mosaic is our firm, and they've been with us for a couple years now, a few years, and we are really, really excited to have them on our side. They've been a huge asset to us during our capital project development and just really in our day-to-day uh, operations. So we have really enjoyed our working relationship with uh, the folks at Mosaic, and we thought we'd have them on to talk a little bit about not just their role in the district, but kind of what they're seeing outside of River Park, and also their own background. We know we have uh, parents that listen and, and some students and are kind of thinking about careers and interest levels. And uh, we always like to hear what people have to say in terms of how they got into their current career. So we'll do some introductions. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. Callie, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Callie Gasberry. I am a principal at Mosaic Associates, which means that I'm one of the owners. I grew up in the area in um, in Scotia Glenville and now live in Niskayuna with my my husband and my three sons. And I a little background on how I became an architect. I wanted to be an architect since third grade, although I'm not entirely sure that I knew what that meant when I made that decision. But I knew I liked playing with my Legos. I loved looking at cool buildings and I knew architecture had something to do with that. So I decided to make that my career path and my parents owned a business. So I also wanted to own my own business. Fast forward. um, Luckily, the whole architecture thing still worked out, even though I didn't know what it was when I made that decision. And here I am owning my own architecture firm and uh, just living the dream. Wonderful. Thank you for for joining us. That's uh, an interesting story. I didn't know any of that. And Jesse, also from Mosaic. Yeah, my name is Jesse Meisner. Um, I am a licensed architect and I'm a project manager for you guys. So that means that um, I'm doing all the roles that an architect does in our firm. But for Averill Park specifically, it uh, kind of means I act as like the team leader mm-hmm. alongside Callie to help your projects get start to finish. So there's a couple other people in the office that work on the projects with us, but uh, we're probably the ones that you're seeing at a lot of meetings or walking through the buildings with, you know, tape measures and lasers and funny things like that sometimes. (laughs) Um, I did not grow up in the region. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Um, I moved here a handful of years ago, and I actually have been working at Able Park since almost my first day on the job at Mosaic. Um, I am also quite the opposite of Callie. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was growing up. Um, My dad was a contractor. He worked on, on houses mostly. So I kind of grew up knowing about some things kind of tangent to the architectural industry, but I really didn't know that that's what I wanted to go into. I was the kid that was took every art class imaginable. I just wanted to draw and paint and sculpt and do all that kind of stuff, but I didn't really know how to turn it into a career. Um, I actually went to college at Philadelphia University as an undecided major and Mm. experimented with architecture at first and fell in love with it from basically day one. Um, So I have a degree from Philadelphia University. I worked in and around Philadelphia for a couple of years while I got my license. And then I moved up here, started with Mosaic and worked with you guys. Wow, two very uh, different paths to to here. That's outstanding. And I know we've talked a little bit uh, 
internally. I think your background on the contractor side is something that you really use and apply a lot on the architecture side. I don't think, at least for myself, I don't know if people always make that type of connection, but your your knowledge about the uh, kind of real world practical stuff really plays nicely with the drawing and designing piece that you do. Does that kind of make sense from your point of view? Definitely. I think in school, one of my professors told us that architects were generalists instead of specialists because you have to know kind of a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, we act in a lot of roles. We do a lot of different things. But you're right. Knowing what the contractors are doing um, helps us out so much. We're obviously working side by side with them while you actually have projects in construction. But we also consult with them kind of behind the scenes while we're working on design. Um, we often work with construction managers um, and owners reps who have more of a background in that kind of stuff while we're designing too. And also while we're starting to think about how to plan a project, you know, what kind of work can you do in the span of one summer or uh, what things might make sense to do alongside each other. If you're going to do this kind of work, maybe we pair something else with it. And the contractors help us a lot with making those decisions. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And Callie, kind of switching back to you. I know that you have a very specific uh, certification that relates directly to education. And again, something that not most of the people, if I'm understanding correctly, in your field really have, something that is very specialized. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, that part of your, your background and expertise? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I wanted to be an architect since I was young. I really liked buildings and, and all of that. And I ended up at Mosaic Associates, a, a firm that does exclusively education. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. When I first started designing schools, I thought it was really boring because they were all doing the same things over and over and over again, just creating these little boxes of classrooms. And I thought, geez, you know, this is, this is terrible. And then when I had my first child, looking at the way he started learning, you know, on his own as a baby, the things that he gravitated to. And then when I had my other two children, seeing how they were all very different and they all learned very differently, really fascinated me. And I started to think that, geez, you know, we, we really can play a huge part in how kids learn by designing the spaces that they learn in. And I became involved with this organization called the Association for Learning Environments, which is a nonprofit dedicated to improving the spaces where children learn. And really, you know, architecture is not, not enough. We need to understand teaching and learning to be able to, to make a difference with the spaces that we create. So I went through this program called the Advanced Academy for Learning Spaces through the Association for Learning Environments and San Diego State University to get a certification called Accredited Learning Environments Planner. And a lot of that training was not about buildings at all, but about teaching and learning and um, communicating with, with communities and districts to develop a vision for education and then how do you translate that into spaces to facilitate better 
teaching and learning. So it's really something that was a passion of mine, but I think um, it really has brought a lot to the office. I've gotten a lot more people involved in the association. We have another accredited learning environment planner, and it really has changed the way that we've thought about educational design. That is, uh, that's really interesting. We talk a lot about those same type of kind of concepts in terms of how to uh, have our spaces impact our teaching and our learning, right? It's something that we're constantly uh, talking through here. We have a furniture pilot going on right now that kind of dovetails into that a little bit, right? So in terms of the current capital project that's going on now, can you talk to us a little about what work has been done and really, you guys came into the district right sort of in the, I'll call it the middle or so of the development of the project. So maybe talk about kind of how long you've been with us here in Averill Park and then the, the capital project, the referendum, you know, being passed and the work that we've done up until, you know, say the end of this summer. Sure, I'll start and then I'll turn it over to Jesse. Um, so I think we came on board with you guys in 2019, I believe where you had already started planning a project. You had a, a committee that was working on that. You had done your building condition survey already at that time on the 2015 building condition survey, which is a, a survey of all of the district's buildings to particularly identify infrastructural issues that, that need to be updated. And so when we came on, we kind of already had that list of items in front of us to start working from. Many items were critical infrastructure things, roofs and boilers and things of that nature. But you also had some really fun ideas for some educational things. So we were able to work with you on, on some of those aspects. Um, by the time we got through all of the budgeting and things, it became clear that a lot of the things that needed to be taken care of were the critical infrastructure things. So that's kind of what made it into the project for the most part. But now we are, boy, in a phase design of phase three of this project. Um, and I'll let Jesse tell you a little bit about, about all the phases and kind of where we're at with that. Yeah. So I think where we settled on the scope of the project was that the bulk of it were these critical infrastructure items um, that Callie mentioned. And then the other main component were some security upgrades that the district wanted to see. Um, so anyone who's visited the high school or the middle school in the last handful of weeks has probably noticed that there are some changes around the front entrances. Um, and that was one of probably the more visual items. But um, one of the big things is we want to try to help the district get a little bit more consistency from building to building and make sure that your buildings match the protocols that you already have in place for receiving guests and making things really clear and simple for people to know, you know, what to expect as they approach your buildings and come to visit um, during or after hours. Um, so we broke the project up into a couple of different phases because, again, there's a lot of work involved in some of this stuff and we have to kind of plan around how much work can you do in the span of a summer or is there certain kinds of work that you can run during the school year that won't be disruptive to students. So we started with a project that um, did a little bit of work at every building, upgrading door hardware and, and you know, making things ADA compliant um, and updating locks that may not have been working properly or things like that. And then we also made some changes at the bus garage, started working on the roof there and replacing all the overhead doors. And then 
let's see, phase two of the project we're in the middle of right now. Um, so that project is mainly working at the high school and the middle school. Um, it's a number of security upgrades. It's a lot of roof restorations and replacements, um, boiler replacements, trying to think what other fancy stuff there is. <laughs> um, the bus atrium actually got quite a makeover at the high school. Um, if you'll notice now it's it's blue and white instead of green and white. <laughs> and uh, we hope that that space will stay a lot warmer and a better temperature throughout the winter months than what you used to have there. Um, and then we'll head into right now we're designing phase three of the project, which will also be constructed over the span of probably a couple of summers. And it's very similar types of work at all the elementary schools. So um, some more vestibule upgrades, some changes to the main offices, roofs, boilers, window replacements, you know, fixing stuff that just may not be in the best of shape right now, trying to get it back up to par. Yeah, this project clearly focused, as you said, on kind of needs and things that we needed to maintain, just like folks have to do uh, in their own houses. We had a lot of that stuff, as you mentioned, boilers and uh, roofing work that had to be done. So uh, we're excited to get a lot of that work done and make sure the physical plant uh, meets our needs and they were able to keep things running. This project obviously doesn't cover all of our needs though, right? So it's a $28 million project. We know that we're going to put together another project uh, sooner rather than later. We have some significant needs that we've already identified. Can you talk a little bit from your experience about uh, maybe from your other districts and, and just from your background, why do you need to do a project every few years? What type of things take place in terms of maintenance and how do you keep that ball rolling? Uh, I know you guys do. I think, Cal, you mentioned the BCS, which is the Building Condition Survey. That's something that we're mandated to do every five years by the State Education Department. Maybe the, the role of the BCS in driving that process. Kind of a very long question, but we, I think for us, we've, we have this project that we're kind of smack dab in the middle of. It's gone very well. And in our minds, you guys are kind of running that project now. We've already started with your help and with Tony Armland, our project manager, already started to kind of scope out and move on to the next project because it does take years to go from the planning to the passing of a referendum to the actual shovels in the ground. So again, a very long-winded question, but we've hit some of our needs. What do you see as kind of the future how do you do these? Why do you do them every few years? The building condition survey, all that stuff wrapped up into one very long question. So right, like like you mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of it a lot of it stems from the the BCS, the building condition survey. Um, as you mentioned, something that the state mandates that every school district throughout the state has their buildings assessed every five years. They have a um, set of paperwork that comes along with it, very specific things that they want you to look at roofs and windows and, and doors of things and things of that nature and identify what has come to um, what we call the end of its useful life. And, um, you know, I think Jimmy made a really good, good analogy with these are the same things people have to do with their own homes, just main it, that's all about maintenance, you know, um, if your if your boiler is is reaching the the end of its useful life, it, you got to start planning to put in a new boiler. Or if your roofs are coming out of warranty, you have to start planning to replace those roofs. And 
So we do this assessment every five years to identify these critical infrastructure needs. And we assign as part of this paperwork a um, number of years of remaining useful life. And that helps to plan because as you had mentioned, planning the project takes a really long time. So identifying something today might not be um, replaced for another five years or, or more by the time you, you build a referendum, pass a referendum, design it and construct the project. So it's really starting with that early planning process that gets you ahead of, ahead of the game. And there's just always stuff that needs to be upgraded on um, things are just, you, you know, you own so many square feet of buildings and roofs and, and acres of sites that things just continually need to be upkept. And then in addition to that, there's educational upgrades. Um, you know, things are changing in, in teaching and learning. Things changed in teaching and learning a long time ago that most of us have not caught up with yet. So there's thinking about those aspects and how you can fit those into a project is, is really equally as important. And then kind of balancing um, the, the dollar amount that, that can be tolerated and what can make it into the project and what can't. You know, Jesse, if you have more to add, I think I made that long-winded question a very long-winded answer. <laughs> I don't know if I have much to add, but I do think the planning process is really interesting because it's such a long and complex project. It's kind of like bringing together the pieces of a puzzle because, you know, we, we come to the table with a list of items after we put together our building condition surveys and, you know, everybody who works and spends time in your buildings from the staff and the building principals and the facilities teams and you guys up at the administrative level, like everybody kind of has their own thoughts on maybe things that they've seen that aren't in the best shape in their buildings or things that they wish were a little bit different or better or what they hope we would address next. And then you're right, once you dovetail that in with um, like what makes sense on a timeline to put together, what makes sense budget-wise to put together, um, it's kind of an interesting, I don't know that people, I think when people think of architects, they just think that we draw drawings and stand around in hard hats on the site and like point at things and tell people what to do. But uh, the planning process, I think, is interesting because it's like a whole different side of what we do. You know, we spend a lot of time working on spreadsheets and talking with estimators about what things might cost and working with different consultants on on how to help advise you guys on what's the best project to put together for the needs um, and the wants that you have at any at any specific point. Yeah, there is quite an amount of expertise that goes into this and planning, as you said, and trying to figure out because, you know, our district, like other districts, we have limited resources. So we're very um, cautious about the price tag that we put out to our residents and trying to do things uh, as efficiently as we can. and being respect, responsible enough to make sure when something gets to its useful life, we're replacing it proactively. So it's not in a situation where the boiler has, you know, broken in the middle of winter and we're closing school, but also making sure we're getting as much of that useful life out of things as possible. Um, we were just talking uh, yesterday to a student who's going to be joining our, joining, joining the board as our student rep. And we were just kind of talking about things that the board does. And we mentioned the capital project and we said, uh, you know, for example, one of the things that we, had a fix was the roofs here in the high school. And uh, Mr. Keeley said, we might've noticed there's no more buckets in the hallways when it rains. And she said, we actually have noticed that. 
And it's, it was kind of one of those moments where you kind of, you know it as an adult, you know the roof's been an issue. We know we've had this capital project on the books for a long time, you know it needed to be done. But here is a student who's been with us now as a senior saying, oh no, we as a student body have noticed that when it rains, there's garbage cans throughout the hallway because of the leaks. And now that doesn't exist anymore. Like our, So there is also a sort of efficiency, safety, sense of pride, all those type of things that go into these projects as we really try and make sure we're encompassing all of that, as well as trying to also consider the innovative part of the educational side, like you mentioned, which for us has been hard to do because we have so many needs among the buildings, right? There's the three elementaries, the middle school, the high school. We also still own George Washington, so we're responsible for that. And then people sometimes, I think, forget about Transportation Center because there's no students there. That's another large building. And Jesse already mentioned the, the work that's been done there, roofing, uh, the garage doors. We have to replace the lifts. Those are all big ticket items. And I think it's kind of out of sight a little bit for our general public, but it's a huge part of our operation. So you think about all these facets of it and then trying to do it and do it in a way that's economically affordable for our community. It's a, it's a challenge. So there's a lot, lot there. Um, you and Mosaic in general do a lot of work outside of Averill Park uh, in the general capital district area. What are some of the trends either you've seen through other districts or I know Callie, you just came back from an exciting uh, trip, professional development type experience. Like what's going on outside of our walls or kind of, you know, in the, the forefront of education in terms of trends, hot topics, designs, what are some of those things that you're seeing out there where if we had sort of like the, you know, the unlimited budget type of thing that you'd be like, wow, we'd love to, we'd love to design something like that in Averill Park. Anything kind of jump out at you at all? I think, you know, some of the, the trend is moving more towards student directed learning or um, student-centered learning, at least, where it's not just all about um, kids filing in to their desks and being spoken at all day by a teacher. It's really more about kind of finding, finding the student's passion and leveraging that as a way to teach them multiple subjects and things like that. And, and that changes the the space needs and the furniture needs and, and things like that in these buildings. So we are seeing, um, you know, you mentioned limited resources and, and everyone's in that same boat. So we, we often just get these little pockets of opportunity to do, you know, something on a small scale that, that we would love to do on a larger scale. But some things we're seeing is making more of a, um, in high schools in particular, even middle schools actually, more of a collegiate feel. You know, kind of this, this higher level of space gives them this, this higher level of feeling and feeling like they are maybe older, more experienced, able to do more things on their own. That really is huge for kids. Even having like a lounge type area for students has become huge. And I have heard many a times, oh, that's wasted space, that's wasted space. We could, we could use, we could have a classroom there that we could schedule, it's such a waste. And then often those same people will come back and say, wow, these kids want to hang out here all the time. Like they don't want to leave school. And that's awesome. That that is what we're going for. We want to make spaces so cool that kids don't want to leave the school at the end of the day. And I think some of these kind of higher level, more collaborative, student-centered spaces are really 
really what we're getting at. Um, things like design centers, and as I mentioned, the, the loungy type areas, operable partitions between classrooms so teachers can team teach large groups or close it back up for small groups is really huge. And Jesse, I'm, I'm sure you've got some other examples or, or things you'd like to mention. I don't want to monopolize. I just get so excited. <laughs> no, you're making me think about the project that we did a couple summers ago now downstate at another school district. And they they were really willing to lean into a lot of spaces like that. And we we did produce a space that had operable partitions and classrooms that we could open up to one another or sequester off. We had lots of lounge spaces and breakout spaces and all the walls were writable. You could put, you know, whiteboards on them and magnets on the walls and everything. And um, I think the result of that space, it was a, a steam center renovation and they had a pretty strong robotics program and they wanted to help foster some more interest in that program because it seemed like the students were really interested in it. And I think once the space was built and it was finished and all the students and the staff moved back in, they did find that kids were hanging out there more often after classes and their enrollment in some of the extracurriculars related to that stuff went up because kids just wanted to hang out and spend more time and they're really interested in those programs. And I know Avril Park has a strong um, project lead the way program and CTE program too. So I think it's really cool to get to work with districts that are recognizing the importance in that kinds of hands-on, really practical learning. Um, and also think, and another, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I also think the outdoor classroom strategy is pretty cool. I don't know that, I, don't, I haven't had the opportunity to work with a school that's, that's built something like that yet. Um, but I think the, the push towards, you know, using the environment around you, whether that's inside your classroom or outside of it is, is really interesting too. You know, I think we're recognizing that students have a lot of different ways in which they learn and are successful and giving them the freedom to figure that out is 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 really nice. You're right. And I, I just wanted to say, too, because this is something you guys already do so nicely is, um, you know, student centered learning is really important, but also student ownership of of space is really important. And part of that is having ways to display student work. It's huge. It's a huge morale booster. It's a sense of pride for the students. And it's something that you already do so well when we have the meetings in your conference room at your district office. I, I often get, get I, no offense, but I zone out a little bit sometimes because I catch myself looking around the room at all the, all the amazing artwork that's in there. So that's something we're seeing too, just trying to work in ways to, um, to display student work and to make the, the spaces their own, give, give the students a, a way to, um, to make the spaces their own. I think those, those are great points. It's funny that you let off with the collegiate thing, because I was going to mention that. That's just something I've observed as I've, you know, and out in other districts. It really is a move to more of a feel of that kind of college student union type of feel in some of the spaces. We've tried to do that using, again, something you alluded to, existing space. Like we're not in a position now with decreasing enrollment. We're going to ever be looking to expand our footprint. So it's how do you use existing spaces maybe a little differently. We've tried to do it, make it a little less institutional looking in our cafeterias. And that's been kind of furniture, right? Just simple changes to the furniture and how we're utilizing some of that spaces. We've added um, kind of pod types place uh, uh, spaces in our elementary schools, places for students kind of gather comfortably and read or do work 
and kind of creating an environment that's a little bit different, a little more comfortable and uh, hopefully attractive to kids that they, they want to be there and uh, engage a little bit. So. And I, I think it's great because I think doing those things, not, not every district does them or thinks they're even appropriate. And by, by you doing that, it shows the students that you trust them and that you want to have, have spaces where that they can, they can be there and that they can be their own and that you trust them to do that. And I think that's really great. It's one of the things that I love about working with your district. Yeah, I think Heath has made that a big thing at the high school, right? Like sort of, uh, we trust you to have nice things and different thing and create those spaces and not be worried about, uh, we're fortunate, our students are, are really well behaved and they, they can handle it and they're mature and it's nice to be able to kind of do some things and let them have a little more of that freedom as they go through the, the K-12 spectrum. Well, thank you very much. I, we've taken a lot of your time and we certainly appreciate it. Uh, I know I speak for the board. Uh, the partnership again with Mosaic has been fantastic. We thank you for all the work that you you two and the rest of your team have has done for Averill Park. And we're excited about what the future holds as we keep uh, hopefully maintaining our, our campus the way we want it to be. and maybe doing some innovative things down the road. So thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. See you next time on Every Student, Every Day.